Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Week Up Balls podcast. My name is Steve Trudeau. I am one of the hosts of this podcast. I am joined by my two co-hosts, Emmanuel Pacheco, Michael Almeida. Guys, how are you today? Awesome. Doing great. Love to hear it. And we're joined by special guest Seamus McNamara of the My Wheelhouse Basketball Podcast. Thank you for joining, buddy. Happy to be back. Good to see you all. It is great to see your beautiful beard. That is for sure. Um, So obviously we have Seamus here with us today. He has his own basketball podcast. So as you can already tell, it's going to be a basketball heavy show. Uh, We just wrapped up the NBA regular season. Playoffs are underway. So why not talk NBA? Lots of stuff to get into, lots of topics, but I want to start with the most recent of the topics, which is the play-in tournament. It went on over this past week and weekend. I thought it was great. I enjoyed it. I heard some people really complain that it was worthless and not, that it was not, why are we even doing this? So I'd like to get some opinions of you guys. Mikey, did you watch any of the play-in games? I did not. I kept track of it on the ESPN app, but I was watching baseball, so I didn't get to, but I didn't know who won and... I saw. I thought the Lakers were going to lose their first one, but unfortunately they didn't. I'm rooting against LeBron this year. So, yeah. Yeah, I would love to watch that game, but I'm an old man. That 10.30 <laughs> tip-off is way too late for me. Uh, I know Emmanuel did not watch no, the game. I didn't because none of the Raptors were playing, really. I think they played <laughs> one game or whatever. I think I just watched the score at the last three, three minutes. They don't put that on TV in, in Canada, I understand. So no. we'll go right down to our expert, Seamus. What do you think about the playing games? Uh, I'm in a similar boat to you. I definitely struggle with staying up late. So usually what happens is I can get through the first half of late night games. And then I usually have to watch the second half in the morning the next day. But I think it was an overwhelming success. I think it's here to stay. I think even if the worst case scenario happened, which would be LeBron losing marketing wise, they would still be bringing this back purely because of the motivation it gives the team's that are tiered between basically the fifth seed and the 12th seed, depending on how many games you're back at the last month and a half of the season. So it didn't eliminate tanking by any means, but it helped remove a few teams that otherwise would have been more motivated to tank. And then just having another event with weight in terms of just a singular game to market and to hype up and to view in terms of excitement that builds in your lead up to the playoffs, I think it's all smart. And I think that for the most part, obviously, if you're watching one of the Pacer games, none of those were fun. But if, if, if you're just thinking about it overall, I mean, both that Lakers-Warriors and the Warriors-Grizzlies game, those were both great games. But both one went to overtime. The other one had an enormous LeBron shot in the second half. I think there was a minute left when he hit that crazy footer when he was saying he could only see the middle rim out of the three rims he was seeing because a Draymond poked him in the eye. But I think it just raises excitement. I think it's another good thing. I don't know whether it might matter, and this might be the most important play-in game, play-in session ever, purely because of the injuries and peculiarness that went into it that resulted in having LeBron James and the defending champions in the play-in tournament. But regardless, I think it was good. We had good games. I don't know which game was your favorite, but I liked everything I saw. So first, Indiana. No one's ever said the words Indiana and fun together in a sentence. So those games were not going to be enjoyable regardless. I like their team, like some of their players, but just in general, rule of thumb, Indiana and fun don't go together. Second, LeBron with the eye poke. Listen, I've been poked in the eye a few times. I've never seen three. 
All right. You might see like less because your eye doesn't work, but is, did he get a concussion? I don't know what he's thinking, but I like he, the dramatics. He threw it out there. That's right. In general, this was a huge win for the NBA. Like, I don't think they'll ever go back from not doing this. It was an amazing win. Number one, those games drew numbers. I saw something that like the Lakers um, Warriors game drew numbers, the highest NBA numbers since uh, the 2019 finals. So just that and alone, lots of eyes were in that game. People loved it. Watching the other sports, I have to give the NBA a gold star or whatever you want for having the best commissioner in all of sports. Adam Silver is by far the best. And you're seeing he took another smart chance and it worked really well. So kudos to Adam Silver. I think to piggyback off that, especially with the success that we just saw with this play in tournament in terms of garnering attention, not only that Warriors um, Lakers game, but also the Celtics Wizards game. That was the highest rated TV game this season up, up to that point. Obviously the Warriors right. game superseded that. And I wouldn't be surprised that the playoff games from yesterday and today outranked it as well. But up to that point, those were the most watched games of the season, but we, we see a willingness to experiment and moving forward. Uh, we're hearing more and more things about, stuff like expansion and mid-season tournaments, just ways to incentivize further development and further excitement of making the regular season matter and making the journey matter just as much as the overall landscape would make you think only the playoffs matter, you know? And at the end of the day, that, that is it. But we see them using the WNBA and often the G League as kind of a test case to see whether things are going to work. So we're going to see how those things shake out there. But if the play-in tournament is any sign of what works and what does not, I think the NBA has a lot of things on its docket to look forward to as positive changes that are going to add some new level of excitement moving forward. So I like that you mentioned that mid-season tournament because I did read something today where they're actually really thinking about adding it. Maybe it'd be like an 18 tournament. And then the prize for this tournament would probably be like $1 million per player. So it's a nice little financial incentive bonus. I think that'd be great. Just like something to break up the season. Everyone knows like by game 40, people start to check out and they'll be like, I'll check back in the last couple of weeks, see what's going on. So it'd be a great way to keep people involved. The, you know, the regular NBA fan. Now I know Seamus mentioned earlier that the play in tournament really incentivized teams to not tank and try to be more into the NBA season because they have a better chance to make it to the playoffs. One team that I was actually surprised went the opposite direction that had a shot to get into the play-in was a team in Toronto that lives now in Tampa was the Toronto Raptors. So they were they were in the play-in mix for a while, Manuel. Yeah. And uh, they kind of went the other way and said, screw it, we don't care. So did you would you like to see them be more competitive and try to get in? Yeah, but again, it's it, it's like it's still a building year for them, right? Like at the end of the day, it, they um, they just they could not pull any of the games out at the very end. The last half of any game you saw, they pretty much lost any lead that they had. They they weren't doing what they should have been doing right throughout the whole season. So they did show some great things during the regular season, yeah. even though like it wasn't their their stars weren't there all the time. Uh, I know Seamus could probably. Uh, lend some voice to this was one of his guys for this year was Chris Boucher. He looked great um, later on in the season. I'm a big fan of Chris Boucher and I think they need to be excited about what he gave them throughout the season. Uh, he's still got some work to do. I think it's smart on their end to lean towards the lottery and trying to rebuild in that manner. I believe uh, I remember it specifically. They had a game against the Bucks 
on my birthday, April 21st. And it was an extremely competitive game that they ended up winning. I mean, the Nets, that even though I think the Nets were missing a couple of players, it was like, oh, maybe they are going to gun for this 10 spot. And then after that game, they probably had 12 games after that. I think they only won twice. So clearly they were sitting players. They're motivated to get as high as they can, get a higher odds of landing in the top four. I think they're somewhere between the – I don't know exactly. I haven't looked at the tankathon or the percentages, but they're somewhere between seven and nine in terms of like the odds for what pick they're going to land. Yeah. And I think that's a smart choice. I think it's going to be interesting to see where they go next year. If I were them, I would look to see how – how much value Kyle Lowry has in a sign-in trade market because he's a free agent. He's going to be targeted around the league. I think ideally he would like to stay in Toronto, but maybe if you could get a couple young pieces, break that dollar up into three quarters and some dimes, it could be the right move. Uh, they need some big man help. I, I love, I love, love, love OG Ananobi. I think he continues to be a player that's underrated by the general masses. And I think that they should move forward thinking about building around Van Fleet OG and Siakam, but I wouldn't even be surprised if they found a package that they liked for Siakam as well. Oh, wow. Man, yeah. What were you saying? Yeah, no, I, again, sir, Lowry is not going to leave Toronto like, willingly anyways, but right. I agree with you. I think that it is something that if they could get a good dollar for him, I'm super surprised that you know the Raptors better than most Canadians. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, good, it's, it's, a, it's a fun expert. team. It's a fun team. I, yeah. I liked a lot of the developments that they had. Whatchamacallit? Ken Birch was funny. Uh, a, <laughs> yeah. a, weird, a weird spark plug this year. But that he's the type of player that they could use. So I think they should take more flyers like that on young players. But uh, I, it's the door's wide open for to do whatever they want over there. You know, with the Messiah there at the, at the helm, I think they got a lot of opportunities to manufacture that team in the way they see fit. Just want to call out that Kareem Birch is amazing, and he's from Orlando. Me and Trudeau met him after the Orlando game. Very nice. Man. One of the nicest guys <laughs> signed everything for us. Wow, I believe even it. though you know it was funny. We we're standing in the <laughs> in the seats, like in the rows, and you know we're we're looking at all the players come out, and then just from the back, Mikey gets a tap on the shoulder. We turn around. There's this giant of a man standing over us, be like. Can I get by, please? And like, he's just like, can you sign this for me? He's like, of course. I don't. He doesn't sound like that, but he's such a giant. I just want to give him that voice of like an ogre. Um, he, hu- giant voice. he hustles, man. He hustles. He just wants to be out there and play. He plays a hundred percent. Like, what you can't ask for much more out of an athlete. I just have a big interjection for. I want to call a shout out to Mariah for. Uh, she, she loves swooshes gorgeous beard i just want to say thank you that's a, a nice beard. it's a very, very nice, nice of her very nice very nice of her to say yeah yeah I'm very um nice. one last thing on the raptors before we move off the rap i didn't realize it's gonna be on the raptors hour i'm sure emmanuel's happy about that oh, but the one i know there was a lot of good to take out of the season as far as you know there was a lot of young players that came in and looked impressive i think there's one thing that was a kind of a red flag for me is that i think siakam took a step back in his development i think that his he changed his game dramatically he was more of a low post player um when he first emerged as an all-star i think he's playing more in the perimeter i don't know if it's his natural game but it seems like he's trying to move farther and farther away from the painted area yeah well and you're absolutely right and the the thing that we're noticing with him as well is those critical clutch moments where he then goes and aggressively gets the ball 
shoots and misses right at the clutch points throughout the entire season. Was, so maybe he's experimenting. Maybe I don't know, but yeah, I agree with you. I think he's changed his game too much. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just don't. I think he's trying to do something different. You know what I mean? I would like to get Swish's opinion on this, though. He has to change his game because they don't have Kawhi Leonard. They have their teams are planning for him. He's the first offensive weapon. And Swish, what do you think about what teams are doing differently to Siakam that they weren't in the past? I think that unless there's some dramatic improvement that I don't project, I think Siakam is going to be shooed in to be a great second player on a successful playoff team. I think ideally he's used in a role where he can maximize his defensive versatility as an off-ball player with crazy length who can handle both smaller and bigger players depending on what the team is. But you're a thousand percent right now that he's no longer the second guy and he's on most nights the first offensive option and he's on more scouting reports and teams are doing more background leading up to the matchup with Raptors throughout the season if, if necessary. Uh, they're walling them off. They're getting back quicker to cut off transition opportunities uh, somewhere formerly, uh, sp specifically in his breakout year uh, a couple seasons ago or beginning of last season. He was really getting out, running, finishing well in transition, making plays with quick decisions when the defense was at a disadvantage um, on the fast break. And I, I think that teams have done a good job to minimize that, force him to be a creator in the half court where he still limits a uh, high level or even an average level handle his shot creation and his ability to create space on the perimeter. Isn't that fantastic. So for him to get back to being a clear, like borderline all-star player, whereas this year he kind of looked like maybe he was the 35th best player in the league. Whereas Last year, at the end of the year, you were thinking this guy could be a top 20 guy. I think he just needs another person. Maybe it is in the front court. I'm not sure specifically which guy it could be to take some of that offensive pressure off of him to allow him to focus most of his energy defensively so he can be an all-defensive team guy and someone that won't slow the pace down. Uh, Baines, Baines was a tough addition in the beginning of the year. And at times some of their other bigs have struggled to fit this role as well. I've liked what Birch has done at points and Boucher is okay at two, but their pace slowed at, at a lot of points this season. And I think that hurt a lot of the young players who I think would be more beneficial to playing quickly, but I, th I think he can be great. And I would get, I don't know. I would, I think I would trade Lowry if I were them purely to get younger. I think the move, a perfect example of what they should be doing is what they did at the trade deadline. I think swapping out Norman Powell for a younger player in Gary Trent, who does a lot of similar things, except his upside defensively, even though he has a shorter wingspan, is a lot higher, in my opinion. Obviously, he's way younger. So I think stuff like that is, it, it, they're headed in the right direction. I think as long as Siakam isn't required to be the number one guy, they can succeed in the playoffs, but it'll probably be a couple of years before they get back because finding that number one guy is difficult. Yep. I, I agree 100%. And I think, again, I think it's a building year for them as well. The next two years, I, I agree that. And again, the, the coach, you got to give it to him for also putting out players in key games to give them experience testing out and and it's a good it's a fun it's a fun game when the raptors are playing and you know it is it is one of the most more exciting teams by the way 
I think I'm just a salty fantasy owner of Siakam. That's why I have a <laughs> negative opinion on him. But uh, just really quick, let's wrap up the play-in stuff. Um, there was a couple of things, comments that I received in some group chats about the play-in tournament, particularly that someone thought that the play-in tournament diminished um, the accomplishments of a regular season. And I just want to present the counter arguments to that. I know because people were like, well, why would you care about getting the 7-8 seed if you can just get knocked out and not make the playoffs? Um, I think it actually improves the value of the first and second seeds dramatically because you're going to either get a, someone who's lesser of an opponent who isn't the 7-8 seed, and you're also probably going to get someone who's played a couple games while you're rested. So to me, it improves the value of finishing top one or two and also really improves the value of being that six seed to avoid the play-in tournament. So I would counter that opinion and say that it actually, in my, in my thought, makes the regular season more valuable. You know, you saw teams like Swoosh said down the stretch, they were really trying typically in the NBA, the last few weeks, everyone's coasting and resting and just waiting for the playoffs. Not this year. I saw a lot of excitement, a lot of action. So I love it. That's my final thoughts on the play-in tournament. I know um, Seamus has one more thought and after him, if anyone else has anything, just let me know. Seamus, go ahead. I think it's absolutely more valuable. And what it does specifically is it shifts what the value pockets are in each range of the standings. So formerly you have home court teams, one through four, that's a value pocket. You know what I mean? Getting up into that top space means you get mm-hmm. home court to the playoffs. Getting to the eight seed, obvious value pocket, that means you're in the playoffs. And then after that, previously, there weren't that many value pockets. Now introducing these new areas, exactly as you said, the six seed value pocket, you're avoiding this, being either the seven or the eight, Value pocket, you only have to win one game to get in. Being the 10 or the 9, more so just out of that, value pocket because you get an opportunity to get into the playoffs. And I think that just introducing more areas of incentivization is going to put a greater emphasis on your performance to get to those areas. You know what I mean? Obviously, it's more important. If there's more things that you can land in that can result in better success based off of how you performed. So I, I think it's a home run. I think it was a good job. We saw how frustrated and irritated and emotional players and teams got when they were on the borderline of being the seven seed. Think about what Mark Cuban, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, those guys were changing their tune real quick, crying about being the seven seed. So I think it's obvious that it has value. I think it's really interesting. I think it's awesome for the teams that were formerly – middling, which is one of the biggest areas of weakness that the NBA needs to figure out how to help these teams that are on the treadmill of mediocrity, the Detroit Pistons teams, although they did a great job this year, the Sacramento Kings, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Orlando Magic. (laughs) No, Minnesota doesn't count. They're actually bad. They're doing Yes, yes, Seamus. Right. These these teams that are perennially between the nine seed and the 11 seed where they're never getting high enough in the lottery to get a difference-making young player, and they're never getting to the playoffs, they're just stuck in this area forever. So just a new area of incentivization to, hey, maybe if you make it to the 10 seed, you can make some noise in a playoff game, bring some uh, credibility and noise and experience for younger players, or you can dip lower. I I think it's a good idea. I think it helps several areas of weakness, and it definitely is a positive that's motivating effort in the regular season, not the opposite. It's 100% a home run hit. This is not going back to the way it used to be. But I just want to take a moment and appreciate you made a term up, Seamus, that I've never heard before, and I love it. Value pocket. 
if if ESPN starts using that, we are going to sue the shit out of them. So if you're listening, ESPN, and you start using Value Pocket, that beer is coming after you. All right, yeah, give him his money. That was great, man. I, I think we did it. Uh, we covered the plane tournament pretty well. We all love it. It's been exciting. So let's move into the regular season because we just finished the regular season uh, about a week ago. I don't want to look into anything, one particular thing. I kind of want to let everyone do whatever they want with it. So I'm going to pass everyone the ball. You can go wherever you want. You can pick a particular team. You can pick a player, whatever you really enjoyed about the regular season, something that maybe you thought um, didn't work out, maybe a team or a player that underachieved, whatever you want. Um, So I will start with Emmanuel, because you you looked very excited when I brought it up. You're giving me lots of head well, nods. I'm going to bring back Kyle Lowry, okay? So Kyle Lowry was super exciting in his defensive play. Uh, he he totally blocked, you know, every shot and then basically get knocked down to the ground on purpose and get fouled on purpose. He was one of the best at that. Oh, so I, I just have it. To say, it was absolutely lovely. Absolutely lovely to get all of the other teams pissed off with the way that he played. Can I just say it's Kyle Lowry is definitely first team, all NBA flop team. hundred <laughs> percent. Most punchable face in the league. Wow. <laughs> well, is that taking it from you, Mikey? Is that like, yeah. You're, you're, yeah. Okay. One of your all stars is a fan. <laughs> I mean, I'm hall of famers is a fan. Yeah, yeah, calm yeah, down yeah. over there. Oh, I got calm it. down I got over it. there. I got it. Want to get into that? No, because you actually before the show you were very excited about this, gentlemen. So give us give us the the rundown. What what we tell us about? So um, we have the fan, right? The Raptors fan, and he basically his name is. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. You really a great. You did your homework there, Emmanuel. Listeners of the podcast, let me just let me just stop everyone. Emmanuel was lobbying for this man. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Doesn't even know his name. Doesn't even know his name. Doesn't Nav Batia. Yeah. So Nav Batia is a car dealership owner, right? So he owns a Toyota. I think it's a Toyota or a Hyundai <laughs> dealership. I'm trying to find out. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, he uh. is the number one fan in all NBA. Like he literally does everything for the Raptors. He's season ticket holders from the very, very beginning. The very first game the Raptors ever played in 95, he had season tickets. I have picked, yes. What? I'm giving you I'm giving you the Matumbo fingers in the chat room because he's definitely when I think of NBA fans at arenas, I don't think of him. My number one pick for NBA fan, I think of when going crazy in the stands, Jack Nicholson. Beat yeah, that. Okay. No, beat that. No, because he would he wouldn't be in every single game. Okay. Your Matt other number one go, fan left. Go to the away games. He would fly. This is just a business guy. This is not some celebrity. He's just a business guy. He was their number one fan and still is. Who would you consider your number two fan? Drake. No, no. Where, where's Drake no. right now? Where's on, Drake right now? What games are oh, Drake yeah? attending? Because oh, yeah? he's not attending the Toronto Raptors games. Not what? now. Drake is not a Toronto fan. He's not a Lakers fan. He's not a Kentucky, Blue, whatever the hell they are, it's fans. Drake is a front runner fan. Whoever's in first, yeah, that's, that's Drake's fine. squad. That's so get out of here with that Drake Toronto. That's fan. fine. That's and fine. He's a fake title. He's like, he has some random ass office at for Toronto's facility. He doesn't do anything. All his job is to just go like this <laughs> in the sidelines. I, I'm going to take what Seamus was saying. He's a value pocket person. <laughs> there you go. Hot pocket. That's what he likes. Seamus, you may now sue Michael for as much money as you want. He's still your turn. Take all my Litecoin. Take my one Litecoin. Litecoin, (laughs) which is worth like 10 cents now. That's excellent. So let's move on. Uh, 
Emmanuel, did you want anything else about your your boy Nav? That no, you he's the very first fan ever inducted into the Hall of Fame. You cannot talk about any other Jack Nicholson. You can't talk about Drake. You can't talk about anybody else that is not a player that is in the actual Hall of Fame. I will say, though, during their title run, where they won in 2019, yeah. I do remember seeing him at every game, and I he'd get oh. fired up, and I, I like the guy, so I'm not trying to knock him. No, no, but he wasn't even, like, and that was that was the highlight, but he was like that at every game. I actually have pictures of me and him on the court, and he was all about the Raptors, the fans, about everything, about Toronto. Like, he was the number one fan, and still is, and still is. All right. Seamus. One last oh, thing. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. One Go last ahead. thing Go I got to say. So when people were knocking him for, you know, again, uh, turban wearing, a uh, lot of hate that was happening, a bunch of stuff. You know what? He did not care and he did not go and um, uh, he. I think he got called out. There was a bunch of other things that were happening, Americans that were basically calling him these names and stuff. And you know what he did? He basically went and um, and was like super nice at, to the people doing this to him. Like he literally was the epitome of an, a Canadian I mean, going to these games. I am not surprised to hear that because we, I, if anything, this one past year of the pandemic has showed me everybody's an asshole. We're all assholes. So I'm not surprised. That's unfortunate that happened. Um, so besides fan Hall of Fame inductees, Seamus, do you have any takeaways from the season that really got you going? Either something that was very exciting that you didn't think that would happen or something that maybe you thought would happen didn't happen? Um. I think you, you can't go past COVID injuries truncatedly short, more back-to-backs, three and four nights, five and seven nights, all of the hiccups and roadblocks that the NBA had to include to have an NBA season this year. I think that needs to be the first thing you talk about when you talk about the season ever. And uh interesting stat to encapsulate that and it might not at all but it kind of just parallels this i took some time to look up how many players per season play every game so this year there was 11 players to play mm-hmm. every single game i understand this is a microcosm there could be years where a ton of players just play one short of every single game i got one yes you, you got what you want to guess i think you i got one. Guess some of the players sure there's 11 guys how many can you get go ahead I know one guy is like known as an Iron Man, my man Jingles in Utah, but he might have missed a game this year, actually. Joe Ingles did not play 72 games this year. Wait, well, I got one. I got there one. Is a, there is a jazz player on there. Yes, go ahead. My what was it? Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook definitely <laughs> did not play 72 he missed games. Oh. He missed Wait, games. Did, did, uh, did Rudy play all the games? He did not. So the jazz player, one jazz player is Georges Niang, so you wouldn't have got that. Oh, the, 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 headli- the headlining play? The headlining yeah, guys, okay. and this is one of the bigger storylines behind okay. uh, recent MVP chatter. Jokic played every single game this year. Steve, the guy that you're wearing, Anthony Edwards, played every single game this year. Ant-Man. And then there's there's a lot of role players and random guys, RJ Barrett, stuff like that, that don't really matter. But the point is, on average, since 1995, there usually there's about 30 players that play every just- single game. How did you just quickly dismiss the third overall pick, R.J. Barrett? He's been you know, like, R.J. Barrett and a bunch of role players. 
Yeah, R.J. Barrett was the next most notable player. I mean, Avika Zubac in the last game of the Clippers season where they tanked it in one of the most unwatchable but simultaneously watchable hilarious games versus the Thunder, they had him tip the ball, foul immediately so he could get checked out. So he played every single game, but his last game he only played seven seconds or something ridiculous like that. But anyway, this year not only has had the enormous asterisk of various teams dealing with a range from problematic to detrimental of COVID absences, but we also saw on average a slight uptick in injuries overall to the league. We, there's less health. There needed to be more additional rest. There was less practice time. And I think that moving forward, I'm, I'm being careful in what information I use from the regular season to help me predict and dissect what's happening in the postseason and moving to next year, I'm going to be really careful with using any sample I have of information and data from this year because of how weird and impacted it is by external factors that are not typical for your normal NBA season. And I know exactly why you're doing this, Seamus, because that that writing you have across your chest that says Celtics, I know where you're going with this because you're going to say those Celtics, man, they were hit the hardest with COVID and injuries this year. Aren't you going to say that? Uh, I, I, I mean, I wasn't going to say it next and I can say it. I mean, I know you're going to get to it though. It's, it's, I mean, that's, that's the storyline for the Celtics season. It's, it's that they missed the most games to COVID health and safety protocols. They were top five, not, not COVID games. They were top five in games missed to injury. They were number one in the league combined COVID and injury games missed. And if you told me in the beginning of the season where, I was expecting somewhere between a second and fifth seed, depending on how our stars step forward this year, how the health of Kemba Walker returned uh, after his recovery from his knee and how certain young players performed stepping up. I was going to say at best we'll be a two or three seed at worst. We'll probably be a four or five seed. But then if you asterisked that and told me, Oh, Seamus, the Celtics are going to miss the most games to injuries in the league. They're going to deal with COVID more than any other team in the league. I would say they'll probably be a seven or an eight seed. And what what seed are they? So I don't think they didn't match expectations. I think based off of the situation and the circumstances, I'm impressed with their ability to fight through those. There's issues that they obviously had that we can get into that if you want to, that are among a, a multitude of reasons, but COVID because of the microcosm that what you can see in the Boston Celtics and how it impacted them, COVID's the storyline, at least of the regular season. And I know we're going to come back to that, Seamus, because uh, a topic we have saved for later in the show is kind of what you want your team to do and how you assess your team for the season. So I know you're definitely excited to give your thoughts on the Boston Celtics. And I actually am very excited to hear about that because the Boston Celtics are one of my teams I watch and root for. But before we get to that, Michael, so I want to get kind of your idea because you were kind of a passive fan. You watched here and there. You weren't um, as diehard, you know, 80, 80 or 72 game season. You didn't watch all the games. But so what were your takeaways in general from the season? I actually have a favorite day of the whole uh, the whole season. Are you guys ready? And it was March 25th when the Orlando Magic finally traded Evan Fournier off the damn roster. Oh, God. That is my favorite day. It was Don't by far the best. It was the He's best terrible. day ever. I've been lobbying it for years now. And that was my favorite day 
ever in NBA for the last maybe three years. Nothing against Evan Fournier. He's probably a nice guy, but I could not stand to watch him any longer. Seamus, if there's one thing, our podcast is pretty neutral, except for one thing. We've per- we've planted our fat flag firmly on being an anti-Evan Fournier podcast. Wow. So if you're out there, Evan Fournier, go fuck yourself. Smooch, what do you got for me? <laughs> I like I like uh, Fournier. I hope the Celtics resign him for less than $18 million a year. Um, <laughs> but I think that the Orlando Magic are definitely a winner of this weird season based off of the totality of it with making the right decision to bail ship at the right time. And oh my God, do the Chicago Bulls look like doofuses. And oh my God, are the Orlando Magic sitting pretty with what looks like now two lottery picks, two top nine picks in this draft that has a stacked top five and legitimate role players that'll seriously help whatever player you can get in the top five in the range six to 10. So I think it's, it was a masterclass by them getting out at the right time, maximizing the value of one of the flimsiest two-time All-Stars in Vucevic, who has clearly struggled to make the Chicago Bulls into a winning team, even though that they thought pushing their eggs into that basket was the right decision. I think that Wendell Carter is a fantastic acquisition. We saw some nice spurts from him at the end like of this him. year. I think after some rest, some work with Clifford, moving into next season, I think Bamba looked awesome in a couple games at the end of the year. I think he has upside to be a great stretch bench big. Uh, I, I think all things are looking up. I like all the dart throws, RJ Hampton, Cole Anthony, random things here and there. Some of those will pan out, some won't. I think overall you should be really excited if you're a Magic fan going into next season. Hey, Trudeau, when um, Swish said Mombamba, I saw a little dance. What was playing in your head just out of curiosity? 16-year-old. Bitch! I, for listeners of the podcast, I was thinking to myself during that statement, I'm definitely going to, uh, after the podcast, edit in the Mo Bamba song. I don't care. Copyrights. Go fuck yourself. Mo Bamba is going to be in here right now. I got ho. No, I actually was down on Mo Bamba, but he looked great at the end of the season. So I'm going to really quick wrap up on my uh, regular, regular season takes. I have a huge list of, uh, of takes, but I'm going to narrow it down to two. First, it goes, Mike, are you with me? Can you can you join me on this? Thank you, Bulls. Thank, Thank you, Bulls. Bulls. Thank, Thank you, Bulls. Bulls. <laughs> Thank you for giving me all your picks and still sucking because they thought they would get Bucevic and be a great team and make it to the playoffs. And guess what? Sucks to suck. We got your pick, your eighth, ninth worst record in the league. Blunks to us now, baby. Hey, the Bulls, why don't you just go and grab Fournier? Like, this is your chance. Go get him. No, <laughs> You'll be happy with Fournier. him. No, 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 Fournier. No. We're keeping Fournier. I want him. I want him back. $16, $16 million, two years. Two years, $34 million. $33 million. Are there any other players who just want to dump all the Bulls, Mike, from the Magic? <laughs> I'm just loving Emily Trudeau's commentary off the podcast right now. Yeah, Magic tank for pick. Something about Trudeau's hair looking terrible. And she concurs that Fournier is awful. Yeah. You can have him, Celtics. Have him forever. He's Evan all yours. Fournier, do me a favor. God, this is so mean. Just bring it home, buddy. Bring it home. It's It's gone, man. Just bring it all the way home, dude. You'd look so much better if you just finished the job. My what, Seamus? I, I mean, just to, to reiterate, the the Magic have, even though they're the third worst record, they have tied for the highest odds at Cade. They have the highest odds, just with 
Houston and Detroit. They all have the same odds. They have the highest odds. Oh. And then the Bulls pick is tied for the ninth odds, which has a 20% chance of being a top four pick. There's Amazing. not an outrageous world where the Orlando Magic get the first pick and the fourth pick in a draft that has five superstar changers. Dude, don't even get me started because I've thought in my mind several times the possibility of the Orlando Magic getting two top five picks, and it is amazing. I mean, besides the Thunder, that coming into this draft, it's rosiest for them over any other team. The Magic and the Thunder played this draft perfectly. Obviously, teams like the Pelicans and obviously the Thunder again have more in their arsenal to move up and down the draft board as they see fit because of the ridiculous amount of draft capital that they have. But purely, even if it's worst case scenario and Orlando gets the fourth and the 10th pick, that's great. And, and th those are going to be franchise changers for this team that needs more warm youth bodies. I, I, I think it's great. I'm, I'm excited for you guys. I think worst case scenario, though, is we can get the sixth pick if we get jumped three times, which is super, super unlikely. But I know we want that top five range. So we'll I see how that works out. Six pick. I think the odds are very, very low. I Super think it's like low. 90 plus but percent chance that you're top five. As an Orlando Magic fan, I know to expect the worst and hope for the best. <laughs> because regardless of who we draft, they're probably going to end up by being complete busks. Not be not their own fault. We're just going to ruin them. Victor Oladipo case study, point number one. We ruined him. He left. He became a star. Uh, my, my second and last takeaway, because I want to move on, is I thought that this rookie class was much better than we expected. I thought coming in, we thought they would be trash. We're like, oh, this is just a waste of the time, whatever. Uh, I got three guys in particular. The three finalists for Rookie of the Year were outstanding in my mind. Uh, Tyrese Hallenbert, first of all, got drafted 12th overall. Shattered expectations. He's been a very valuable uh, contributor. I agree. Halliburton's great. I like this rookie class a lot. When I was making my rookie teams for my awards, I understand there's only two rookie teams, but I made a third just because I thought that there was five more guys that deserved to get some credit. And I think that coming into this draft, this offseason, it got the reputation of being a bad draft because it didn't have any top flight talent. But there's definitely ample amount, more than usual, depth in terms of positive impact rotation players that are going to get heavy minutes and have long eight, nine, ten year NBA careers. But I'm, I'm big. I'm not sure where Steve was thinking of going next. What do you think? Well, I think we were going to start with talking about the draft, right? Because the draft is the second best thing after the playoffs right now. So, Seamus, why don't you give us your top five picks for the NBA draft? Let's go right okay. into it. Top five picks. Uh, Cade is the number one. He's in a tier of himself. I don't care who gets the number one pick. doesn't matter, matter if you have a primary creator or, or not already. You want him on your roster. He's going to enter the league as one of the five best playmakers, passers in the league already. He can define all five positions. I think he's probably already one of the 30 best basketball players in the world right now. I uh, No-brainer, number one overall pick. And then after that, consensus uh, among draft Twitter, uh, media landscape, uh, beat writers, college analysts, Consensus is either Mobley or Suggs at two, obviously the other one at three, and then the G League guys at four and five. And, and personally, out of the film that I watched, and I've watched, I think I've watched most, I think I watched every single college game from Mobley and Suggs. I watched all the G League games from Jalen Green and Kaminga, but I think I've watched more high school tape from Green and Kaminga 
So maybe I'm more partial to them because I've seen more of their tape in totality, but I think they're being severely underrated in the scheme of this top five purely because of the path that they took versus the allure and and the bright lights that shine on you when you play in the March Madness tournament when Jalen Suggs hits that 43-footer game winner in the Final Four and and just with Mobley having the reputation of being as good as he was. But I think I would have – and it's tough because Kaminga is actually – pretty commonly regarded to be the fifth prospect. Wait, what? I'm struggling to decide between Jalen Green and Kaminga at two. And then, again, you're going to be happy no matter what with who you get exactly. here. But but I, I'm I'm just psyched because I think that I think that Kaminga could be a world record, all defensive type player. I think that Jalen Green can score 20 points a game his rookie year. I think Jalen Suggs is immediately going to enter the league as potentially one of the better young leaders in the in the league. And I think Mobley offers, despite probably having the lowest floor, depending on who you talk to, I think he offers some of the more interesting malleability options of how to employ him in a successful manner with your team. So Cade, Kaminga, Jalen Green, Suggs, Mobley would be my top five, but two through in four. Order. In that they're order? All, they're all in that same same tier. Yeah, two, through, okay. two through five, it doesn't matter. Pick your fancy. You choose to fit over best player available because you're going to be happy no matter what, I think. Now, the question that I have for you is, do you see any teams trying to move up into the draft? Like any teams that are kind of mid-tier that might make that big jump to try to get their guy so that they can push to the, nevel- the next level with the one to four or one to six top teams in those pockets that you were talking about earlier today. Right. So I think that um, it's known that this is a, I don't want to say that it's not a deep draft, but what we just said about the 2020 NBA draft, having surprising depth, I don't think it's going to be the same for this class. It's just that the top end of this class is is so good. And that again, that's not to say that there aren't players that you don't want from six to 15, because there's absolutely going to be hits in there, guys that have all-star ceiling and such. But just thinking about that, it's it's going to be there's going to be a premium on picks one through five in a way. Even if paying up to get from pick seven to five, that that's going to be costly. So just thinking about what teams have that capital and have that amount of assets in their war chest, it, your mind immediately goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder, who have 34 picks in the next seven years. I think including 18 first rounders. They can jump around this draft as they please. It, that, yes, they may have to overpay, but if they get – again, they have Houston's pick. If Houston drops out of the top three, that means they get the fourth or fifth pick from Houston. They get their own pick, obviously. But suppose they get their own pick as third. They don't get the Houston pick. And then they get uh, the Miami Heat's pick, I believe, which is probably – because they're in the playoffs, is probably going to be 16 or whatever – I see no reason they couldn't move up to 10 or 9 from 16 by adding one or two firsts. If they land outside the top five or they land at five, I see no reason they couldn't add one or two firsts to move up to two. Uh, Who knows? Maybe they'll attach four first-round picks to the third pick to get to one so that they can pick Cade. They have the ability to jump around in whatever way they want purely because of how well they've stocked this draft pile. Um in a manner that not many other teams have done. The other team that has done similar things because of the Drew Holiday trade 
because of the Anthony Davis trade and because of some smart manufacturing around the fringes of dumping players here and there is, is the Pelicans as well. And to a lesser degree than the Thunder, they also have a lot of pick capital to jump up and down. But I wouldn't be surprised if there's teams flying up and down all over the board, especially after the top five. Whereas I think those five guys that I named are probably the five they're going to get picked in some order. I think after that, there's no consensus between who's six and who's 14. So when a guy see when a team sees an opportunity to get their guy or their guy slipping, I think we could see a lot of jockeying up and down the board. I wouldn't be surprised if a team that is normally competitive in the playoffs, like a Toronto or like a Golden State Warriors, who are both going to likely have a pick six, seven, eight in this draft. I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe either traded that pick away for a veteran player or someone that was more win now, or if they packaged, like I said, with like a Lowry or a Siakam situation to get even younger. And maybe it's Siakam plus the seventh pick and you're trading it to Oklahoma City for the third pick and I don't even know, Lou Dort or something like that. And then you can pick Jalen Green or you can pick whoever you want to be your future star. So I think there's going to be a lot of movement, and I think a lot of teams have the ability to be flexible. I just have to comment. And again, I thought you were, Seamus, I thought you you hit it right on the head, uh, the nail right on the head. And again, with Nick Nurse and the Raptors, he's willing to do that. Like He's absolutely willing to get younger players. He's really, really good at uh, being able to have much more of a roster that more and more team members will play, not just the the, the star Right. So that I think that you're absolutely right. And I think that that's what makes the Raptors, I think, such a great team as a team is that they're not really a star, one star player team. Right. Which a lot of other teams are. Right. So the question I have for you, Seamus, before we jump off the topic of the NBA draft is who's your sleeper? Who is no one looking at that? You're like, this is my guy. This guy's going to be good. And no one has them on their radar so far. There's a couple like second round guys that I like, but those are so dependent on landing spot that I don't really want to speculate too much there. But after the top five, I have a handful of guys that the more I jumped into the film, the more I really liked them. Um, James Booknight at, at UConn is a guy that depending on when in the year you're looking at mock drafts and you're looking at scouting reports, he was as high as seven or eight. And now I think most uh, mocks have him closer to 12 or 13. But he, he has fluid scoring ability as a three-level scorer who can finish and elevate and really float through the air. Uh, I like his athleticism, and I think he's being severely underrated as a defender with length and tenacity and a guy who overall has a lot of work ethic that's probably going to be put into the right practices in off-seasons in the year's future to, to really develop and to be a good player. He's, he's 20 years old, so, he, so he's not the – He's not Kaminga, who's still 18, but I, I really like him as a mid to late, somewhere like 10 to 12 lottery player to end up probably being the best of that stretch, especially because that means he'll probably end up going to the, the San Antonio Spurs, or maybe he goes to the Warriors with that uh, their own pick that they have, or just a team like that with a little bit more of a winning culture, I, I think he could be a shoe-in for a surprise, awesome career. Okay, I have one question about how COVID actually, because you did talk about this earlier, where COVID was such an anomaly for the the 
the injuries and everything else where now there was so much more injuries, the health of the players. How is that going to affect now that the teams are coming back, vaccinations in the U.S. are coming back? Toronto might actually play back in Toronto once, right? Like, how is that going to affect now this whole season coming up with the new draft and stuff like that? So this year, if you listen to a lot of draft evaluators from teams and maybe just college analysts, people that go and scout these players, they talk about how this year was one of the most difficult years to get a strong and firm grasp on, on what a draft prox- draft prospect player, what, what he is, what he actually will be like. You know, it, it's, it's, yes, you can watch infinite tape and you can pull up synergy and you can type in, show me every single time this guy was a ball handler and a pick and roll and you can watch all those, but there's a certain amount of feel and personal connection that they weren't able to get from these guys that they typically were which is why I think that recently we see a lot of players bouncing all over the place. Now that teams are spending more time to get uh, a greater amount of research into players, they're, they have more ability to send people to meet these players, do in-person workouts now that players are vaccinated. I mean, there were stretches in this college season where top teams, I mean, Baylor didn't play for two and a half weeks. Right. So it's, 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 it was really, really difficult on scouts and on NBA teams to properly judge and measure players against one another versus previous years when they had so much more access that I think moving forward uh, on on these players in this draft specifically before June and July when the actual draft is and the actual ramp up, I think you're going to see some dramatic shifts from players and, and where, where they rank out. And I, I think that because of where we are, in terms of states opening back up, in terms of percentages of the overall amount of people being vaccinated, the acceptance that since people have the ability to get vaccinated, if they want to be vaccinated, things are opening up in general. I think that scouting is going to return to normal pretty soon. So things with draft evaluation going into next year, where it's another exciting class with Chet Holmgren, who's going to Gonzaga, following Jalen Suggs, who is his high school teammate, who also played in Gonzaga. he's, He's the next up guy. I think it's going to return to normal and you're going to see a more typical uh, scouting process, especially for college teams. Cause co- college was super weird this year, co- watching college basketball, following what was going on. It was very hard and it was very unusual. You would watch games and you wouldn't know players were going to be out and they would be missing six, seven guys in their rotation. So it was hard to tell what games mattered, what didn't matter, what player was recovering from COVID, what player wasn't there because of reasons X, Y, Z. So, so many things were weird about this season overall that I think that by next year it's going to return to normalcy. And even as soon as the draft, I think teams are going to have a more clear-cut vision of what is real and what is not real based off this previous year. So, Seamus, is there one team that you would say has an advantage over all of teams based on coming out of COVID and coming out of this? Was there any team that had an advantage based on the way things were set up? Advantage? I think that... The teams that are best equipped to handle COVID are teams with a strong history of their medical staff, uh, resilience with their front office, and the ability and reputation of their scouts over a large sample size. So teams like the San Antonio Spurs and the Denver Nuggets, teams that are prevalent and and common in offseason and international specifically scouting and the amount of hits that they have on picks in the draft from pick 
19 to pick 30, I think those teams are at an advantage purely because of the history and the reputation that they have as those as that status of a team that's more cohesive top to bottom, that knows what it's looking for in players, and that probably has built connections overseas and in college in a way that they can help compensate for the inability to specifically see those players in person. Whereas a team that has a spotty history and doesn't have as big of an analytical staff and their medical staff struggled, uh, I think the Sacramento Kings or something like that, I bet you they're probably going to make questionable decisions come the draft, you know? So it's, it's kind of more so what you know already as the teams that are good organizations, there might be a brief uh, continued separation that becomes more blatant between the good and the bad in the league because of these situations heightening those high ranges of expectations and everything that they have at their hands, but eventually it'll balance out. So I, I don't think it's like the Thunder are, are sitting pretty because they have so many assets and they have a good front office. So I think it's, if you're a good team and you have assets and you have a good scouting profile and you have a good medical team, I mean, look at what teams like the Utah Jazz and the Phoenix Suns did this year. They were two of the healthier teams in the league. They, they avoided COVID protocols. And you look at, I mean, I, I don't want to hamper too, too heavy on the Celtics. I don't know when we're touching on that, but they, they, they fired and relieved and a couple of the guys retired from their medical staff a couple of years ago. And, and you can tell ever since that, I believe it was like Tatum's rookie year was the last year of a, of a trainer that had been there since the bird years. And, and you can tell that revamping a staff can, can have an impact on a team's performance, especially in a year when you are so dependent on your medical team's vision, structure, organization, all those things. It, having a good team in place is going to further separate you even more from your subsidiary competition that previously didn't know what it was doing. You know what I mean? Right. That's very well said. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that it will, it will depend on how well their staff, the back office, all of that was doing during COVID. I think that that's, that's a really good point. You're actually pretty good at this, Seamus. <laughs> Hell, holy shit. You're good. I try, I don't I try what to... much it says about you. I think you're a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. Thank you for the lofty compliments. Seamus, before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to add with the NBA draft that we didn't touch upon? NBA draft? No. Draft, no? If, I, if I was the Thunder, I would trade a lot. I would trade a lot of picks. If I didn't get the number one pick, I would trade a lot of picks to move up to the number one pick. I think the teams that have the ability to go get what pick they want should do it because Cade is that guy. He He is a franchise changer. He, the the Thunder, they could trade four first round picks in the fourth pick to go up to one, draft Cade. They could trade six more first round picks and Darius Baisley or whatever the heck they want and go and get Carl Anthony Towns. And they could be a playoff team next year. They can trade their, they can change their future direction of their team so fast because of how many assets they have and young players that frankly have proven themselves to have value I think the Thunder are the biggest team to watch this offseason specifically with how their draft is – the lottery specifically is going to shake out. So I, I would pay attention to them because I think they have the ability to make waves. And if I was Sam Presti, I would hunt down Cade Cunningham, whatever it costed. My question for you is, is Sam Presti the best GM in the NBA? 
Who's your top, favorite one? Who's top, number one? Top top five. I mean, it, oh, top it, five. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Wow. He's probably. I mean, I mean, it's it's so close with how these these teams manage, you know, and, and small decisions here and there can completely change the fortune of your franchise, short and long term. I, I, you got to give respect to Popovich and Buford. You got to give respect to Pat Riley yeah, and the Pat front Riley. office they have. You got to give respect to Danny Ainge and the history he's been in the league. He's the third longest tenured. Uh, GM that we have. Um, you got to give respect to Dennis Lindsay and what the Utah Jazz have done as, as being a cohesive unit uh, that has the same messaging and, and really know they're all on the same page from top to bottom, from owner to 12th man, owner to trainer. You know what I mean? So I would, I don't know. I haven't made my specific rankings, but I would say Presti is probably up there. Next time you're on, I want to do that. I want to okay. see who's your number oh, yeah. one guy. Who's your number? Because I know that Emmanuel, his guy over at Toronto, I don't know yeah, if he's sorry. going back. Is he going back? Is he coming back, Emmanuel? Inside no. scoop. What's the inside scoop? Yeah, is he coming no. back? Tell us. Your buddy. Your buddy. You're talking about who you're talking about? Your GM. Masai. Yosai. Yeah. Your friend Masai. I don't know. I don't have any inside scoop. I, you know what? I could go to Drake's house and ask. <laughs> stop it, stop it, it, with the Drake was, stuff. You're we going to get a restraining order again. Yeah, Lisa, we can actually. So Luca, who is on this podcast many times, and he's he's another basketball fanatic, football fanatic, and uh, he lives very close to Drake. So we can actually go visit him. I am going to make it. A, there was a girl that was um arrested recently for for being in front of drake's house so i'm going to try to see if i can do the same <laughs> i have i have no idea i have no idea all right we're going to switch up we're going to head into the nba playoffs we're going to start at the western conference so Seamus, which team which lower seed has the best chance of pulling the upset which team so, do you look at let us I mean, know. it's 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 obviously the Los Angeles Lakers. Although I haven't watched the game yet, they just lost Game One oh, wow. to the Phoenix Suns today. I think it was 99th to 90. But I'm not that surprised there. Uh, the Suns were rested, were had the ability to punch uh, limped Lakers team in the mouth opening up. I expect the Lakers to make adjustments. LeBron is pretty infamous for having an average record in Game Ones of all of his playoff series over his career. He has a tendency to feel teams out and then to make serious adjustments following that. Uh, I, I had the Lakers in six games over the Suns. I wouldn't be surprised if the Suns beat them. Obviously, we saw today, or I didn't see yet, but I'll, I'll watch it tomorrow. We saw that they have the ability to beat them. Um, I, I just think that at the end of the day, with the firepower from Anthony Davis and LeBron James, it's enough to overpower anything Phoenix can do. Uh, Chris Paul has a spotty history in the playoffs. Uh, obviously, this has been a fantastic year. I think the storyline of him being a uh, top five MVP candidate is a little overblown, but he's been great. I think the X factor of the series is definitely DeAndre Ayton. If he comes to play, I think they have the ability to extend the series to at least seven and maybe even win. We saw this afternoon that he outplayed Anthony Davis purely based off of all the texts and notifications and highlights I'm getting fed to my phone and statistics from the box score. I'm assuming the eye test will match it when I watch tomorrow, but it looks like Aiton outplayed Anthony Davis in game one. And if he can play up to Anthony Davis for the rest of the series, then the Lakers have a serious problem. So they would be my clear cut pick. I think besides that I'm picking chalk in the rest of the conference. Not that it won't be difficult for teams here and there. Uh, we saw Portland 
take home court away from Dallas. I mean, from Denver last night. So that could be another interesting one, even though I still have, I still have Denver winning that series, but the only team I see getting upset is the Phoenix suns purely because they short got the short end of the stick with the Los Angeles Lakers and the draw. All right, let's switch conferences and head to the Eastern conference and give us the same exact analysis. Who has the best shot at upsetting their higher seed? Um, I don't think Philly and Brooklyn are going to lose. Uh, we can get into greater detail on those <laughs> if you want to, but, and I don't think that saying Atlanta is going to take out New York is some draw dropping upset choice. And I think that Miami has the highest likelihood, therefore, of being a surprise upset. Because I really think the four or five seed is essentially a pick 'em. Those teams are really, really even. They're good at different things. I think I'm going to pick the Hawks in six purely because they have offensive firepower that I don't think the Knicks can match. And I understand the Hawks don't have many options to answer Julius Randle and that Julius Randle destroyed the Hawks in the regular season. But I think Trey Young and Bogdanovich and Herter. And DeAndre Hunter, they have too many options to be potent offensively. So Atlanta will get the upset. Miami is the most likely to be a surprise upset, although I'm still picking the Milwaukee Bucks, probably in six games. That's crazy. So the other question I had for you while we're staying in the Eastern Conference is who are your teams moving on? Like, can you name them from one yeah, I mean, I got I got my full bracket, so I think I think I think Philly I think Philly sleeps sweeps the Wizards. Okay, I don't, I don't think they have enough health from their top end of their roster. I think that hamstring with Bradley Beal is a is a big issue that clearly impacted him in both the play in games. And as you know, hamstrings can act up at any moment. You can feel 100 percent healthy, and you can take a wrong step, and you can be down in the dirt again. I think Westbrook. Uh, is a holy smokes roller coaster that can put up 25, 15, and 15, but he might be playing losing basketball while doing it. And then the rest of that roster, I don't depend on any of them enough. So I don't see any way they get past five games. So at most, that series is five games, but I'm picking a sweep there. I said I got Hawks and six. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Hawks and seven. I wouldn't be surprised if it was Knicks and seven. I would be surprised if either team won in five games. But anything else is perfectly within question. I got Philly sweeping whatever team wins. Sweep the Hawks, sweep the Knicks, doesn't matter. So Philly's going to have a huge advantage here in the ability to get extended rest in this postseason to make sure that their top-line talent is healthy. It's, it's, it's essential that Embiid is well-rested for the games that are high leverage come Eastern Conference Finals, and if things go right, the NBA Finals. So on the other side of the Eastern bracket, Milwaukee-Miami is going to be tough. I think almost every game in this series is going to be close. It's going to be a battle. These teams wanted each other, and I think that really makes this series more interesting than a lot of the other first-round series. Miami wants to prove that we still have Milwaukee's number, and Milwaukee wants to prove that we're a different team. We're not scared of you. We're not the Los Angeles Clippers being babies and avoiding the Lakers. We're gunning for you, and we're going to take you out, and it's going to be a statement series win. So I think with the addition of Drew Holiday and what flexibility he gives them alongside P.J. Tucker as well, I think they're going to be too much for Miami. We saw them get an exciting overtime win 
with that crazy awesome step back from Chris Middleton yesterday. That was a really good game, even though it was a little sloppy in the first half. I think Milwaukee gets them in six, maybe seven. I wouldn't be again. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Miami won because they're awesome, and the X factors for that series are probably whether Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and Goran Dragic can be the playoff performers that they were last year and that they haven't been this regular season. So there's some interesting storylines there. And then finally, the, the the Nets and the Celtics are it's it's a super weird series. A lot of a lot of analysts are picking five games or a sweep for the Nets. I would be surprised if it's a sweep. I got Nets in six. I think the Boston Celtics proved to me last night that they can hang defensively. What Brad Stevens did with his rotation last night was miraculous. That first half was an absolute masterclass of hockey subs, of matchup zones, of full court pressure out of nowhere. Uh, I thought the switching was on cue, and I thought he employed the right players to fill roles that both were surprising from the Nets end and effective from the Celtics end. But at the end of the day, the essential, the imminent unstoppability of Kyrie, Harden, and Durant offensively, it's just too much. And even if they're disjointed and unconnected or struggle with injuries, what have you, they, they just have a 15-0 run in them at any point in the game. Whereas when the Celtics were up 22 to 11 or whatever the hell the score was in the first quarter, there was a feeling in your gut saying, this is going to be a two-point game in three minutes, which it was. And then the flip side being when the Nets stretched out that lead to 10, 12, 14 points in the fourth quarter with a good amount of time left, it was like, oh my gosh, how are the Celtics going to dig out of this hole? The only people that can score the ball are Tatum and Kemba, and they were off that game. So I think Kemba and Tatum will be better offensively for the rest of the series. That'll lead to a few victories. I think Robert Williams, oh my God, is he incredible. I hope that he stays healthy. He was he was, he was, was the second best player last night. Really? I didn't get to watch the game, so that's Kevin, great Kevin news. Durant, Kevin Durant was the best player in the game. Defensively, he was awesome, and offensively, he, he started slow, but he was creating. He was dishing when he didn't have a shot, even though you'd think he would always have a shot. But he was definitely the best player in the game. I thought the player who impacted the game the second most was easily Robert Williams. He was everywhere defensively. Offensively, he warps the floor in a manner that I don't think any other player in the league does with his vertical threat, with his quick decision makings at the top of the key and on the roll as a passer. Uh, he's incredible. If he stays healthy which is like the biggest if ever, because the only thing his career has been so far is injury ridden. Uh, I think he's one of the 50 most impactful players when he's healthy, but he's never healthy. So I think if we can get more uh, extended health from Rob Williams and better offensive performances from Tatum and Kemba, it could be a longer series that's competitive and exciting. I thought Tatum played awesome defense all game long. I think his defensive season has been severely underrated overall. But I just don't think the firepower, I don't think there's enough on the Celtics to overcome what the Nets are dealing with. I feel like there's more chance of an upset coming on the Western Conference than the Eastern Conference. What do you think about that? Who are you thinking of? Uh, Well, obviously the Lakers are easy, but I could see Portland pulling an upset against Denver, right? You could. Yeah. is, Is Donovan Mitchell playing tonight? Is he healthy yet or? I believe so. But even so, 
right? That makes me that makes me nervous. That makes me nervous. I, I I don't I don't think Utah is going to lose to Memphis by any means, but I think that Memphis is going to propose some difficult some difficult <laughs> some difficult things for the Jazz. You know, I yeah. think with with both. Yes, timeout. Go ahead. Time out. What the All hell right, do yes. you want, Steve? You're jumping in. Great back. job. Guess what? Back Guess again. What? Trudeau's back. You're bothering Tell us. us. Right. Okay. We're like, we're run like a really good team without you too, man. <laughs> this will be right. great. This will, this will tell us, do we really need Trudeau? So let me tell you what happened. Okay. <laughs> really? We're already an hour and eight minutes. Poor Seamus is hungry. Coach, I'm like hungry. Coach, Mike. Mike's I'm hungry. hungry. Well, doing great. just to let you know, when you were going, I was just pounding Corvassier because I was so mad. But <laughs> a, apparently my router decided to say, you know what? F you. This is the router name, not anymore. So it changed its name to something different out of nowhere. So I had a reason. It took me like 20 minutes to figure out that the router changed its name. I had to replug everything in and got internet again. Fios. Fios was yeah. on my good list, but now it's on my bad list. Like, get out of here, Fios. No, I'll tell you what happened. The little kids heard you call them little shits outside and they were like, fuck this guy and screwed up your old thing. You know who That's it was, happened. I think? I think it was Evan Fournier trying to take our podcast down. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Oh man, we were really on a roll. We were getting yeah. through the Western Conference, and we were heading to like the juicy part where Seamus was going to tell us when the games actually get good in that second half of the uh, the second half of the playoffs. It's going to be exciting, man. You ruined it. Thanks, I'm Trudeau. Sorry. Do you want me to leave? I don't I'll think, hold on, hold on. I don't Let think you just... ruined anything. I thought you were great. Good reentry. <laughs> good job. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but with. The, the Utah <laughs> we Memphis. don't even know. Like <laughs> Trudeau, come back. We need you. <laughs> the, it's funny, Trudeau. He's he's going to struggle. You never should have left. Now your, your Wi-Fi is going to crump out again. It's all good. I'm not Evan Forty, man. My Wi-Fi isn't that bad. I'm not Evan Forty. <laughs> the strays that Evan Fournier gets on this podcast for being overstretched as the number one offensive option on a shitty <laughs> Orlando Magic team. Disrespectful. Oh man, <laughs> Trudeau, right. what do you like in the Western Conference, Trudeau? Do you think how many games do the Memphis Grizzlies win in the first round? Gentleman sweep. I gentleman sweep. I, I I did get to peek in. You guys talking about possible upsets in the West and the East? I'm just gonna go real quick. The West, the Lakers, they're gonna pull the upset. No, they. I don't know what the final score is today. I knew it was competitive when I stopped watching the game. Uh, Eastern won. Conference, Suns won. If okay, I mean. I feel That's bad fine. for the Suns. They played really hard. They got the second seed. Now they play the Lakers, who okay. shouldn't be a seven seed. They got decimated by injury. They should be higher than seven, but whatever. Um, Eastern Conference, I got to try rapid fire through this. I, I'm i going to go with maybe – I don't think there's going to be any major upsets, but if there is going to be an upset, it's going to be the Miami Heat over the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks played – they won barely. Miami played like shit. They shot like 0 for 1,000 from the field. I would expect them to bounce back in game two play a little bit better. So watch out for that upset there. Practically exactly what Seamus said. You guys are all We're geniuses. That's <laughs> why. We're savants. That's right. Good Should job. I just go again? I, you don't really seem to need No, me. no, no. Let's We're doing great. Finish this off, man. All right. Let me finish this off. Let me get back on the driver's seat. Mikey, I'm very excited to see how you drove the show. I bet you drove it off the rails. And <laughs> No, I'm sure you did great, buddy. I appreciate you doing that. So let's wrap this thing up. So we had the segment that's finally done. Thank the freaking Lord. The big baller bucket where basically I would just get shown every week. I would get a shitty basketball team and have to pay a punishment. 
But I was not the only one who lost. Sheamus, when he came on the podcast last time about two months ago, got stuck with the Detroit Pistons, who we probably talked about as one of the worst teams in basketball. Well, guess what? Good tank. Good tank. They tanked successfully, which was not good for you, Sheamus, because you lost, which means you had to perform a punishment on our podcast, which I appreciate you being a good sport and doing. Absolutely. We did not assign you a punishment. We gave you the option of picking whatever you want from the list, and you picked what, sir? I will be uh, doing cinnamon challenge. Oh, God. So now I just want to let the listener know that before the podcast began, Seamus sounded very, very confident about the cinnamon challenge. Now, I've seen clips online, and Emmanuel Mikey, please chime in and let me know. But don't just hold on, not just yet. So, have you seen this online, Emmanuel? This is going to be a disaster, but I I love it. I love it. So, (laughs) we're going to be like, you know, like you watch the Olympics as a gymnast and they land the landing and they just do the crescendo. This is going to be the crescendo of our show. And basically, it's going to go like this we're going to ask Seamus his picks for the biggest sports uh, awards of the NBA. So, we're going to ask him about the MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, yada, yada, yada. And it's going to be during the Cinnamon Challenge. So, Seamus, I don't know if the audience isn't going to get any of this because you might be dying. And I will call the police. Well, I probably probably won't have internet in another five minutes. So, if someone else calls the police, if he does die, uh, this should be fun. Are you ready, sir? Let's do it. Does anyone have warnings for him before they, or we're just going to let him do this? Seamus, just put your hand up and say, I'm okay with if I die and we can't sue Mike Almeida. The other guys are good. Yeah, You're good. Yeah. No as, as they would say in Rocky Four, if he dies, he dies. That's right. All right, sir. So I just, I just want to let the audience know, uh, listening to the podcast version, you have what size measuring scoop of uh, cinnamon? I got, I mean, it's probably tea, two teaspoons. It's an overfilled <laughs> teaspoon. Yeah, and Joe, for those who like to bake, usually you take your finger and you like get the top off so it's nice and flat. Seamus's yeah. teaspoon is like a mountain, my 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 friends. This is a lot of cinnamon. Yeah, I'm ready. All right, Hold sir. Back. Whenever you're ready, and he it goes in. It's on the mouth. He's getting oh, he's getting all of it in. I hope you have he some getting in there. He has I hope you have some protection yet. down on your computer because you're gonna cough this off in a second. Oh, he's loving it. Wait, wait, he's frozen. No, no, no. He's back. Okay. He's he's chewing it like a savage. Okay. Take it down. You're not supposed to drink water. You know this, right? No. Oh, no, no. That's not how that goes. Yeah. You have to answer the questions with the cinnamon in your mouth. Are you done? Swallowing Ready. it? Yes. All right. So MVP. Let's see the MVP for the end. Let's go with, start with coach of the year. We have Quinn Snyder of the Utah Jazz, Tom Thibodeau of the New York Knicks, and Monty Williams of the Suns. Who do you like as the coach of the year, Seamus? Tibbs. Any any elaboration on that? He's licking the spoon. He's an um, animal. <laughs> the Knicks had the <clears throat> biggest <laughs> jump in terms of expectations to actual performance from beginning of the season to end of the season. The Jazz were supposed to be a good team. The Suns were borderline a good team. So I think what Tibbs has done with a lot of players that were formerly bad NBA players is more impressive to me. I think Quinn is my number two. And Monty Williams is a great number three. Awesome coach of the year ballot for sure. Are you okay? You're there's a lot of lot of licking going on. Are you, are you doing I got right? a lot of there's a lot of residual cinnamon everywhere. <laughs> okay. You're taking it like a champ, though. I'm very surprised. All right, moving on. 
Uh, let's do the sixth man of the year. I have six awards right here. So sixth man of the year, I got Jordan Clarkson of the Jazz, Joe Inglis, Jingles of the Jazz, and Derek Rose of the Knicks. Uh, I have Ingles winning. Mm. I think he's better at basketball than Jordan Clarkson. So therefore, he's the sixth man there. They both started a handful of games. They both came off the bench a handful of games. I think having two six-man candidates is probably a big reason why they've been as competent as they have all year. And Ingles is great. He's a good defender. He's an awesome creator. He's having one of the most efficient seasons shooting-wise that we've seen from a bench player in essentially history. I think the allure and excitement of Jordan Clarkson as a spark plug classic six-man, I'm a guy who comes off the bench and scores you 20 points, kind of overrid, overrode what Ingles has done from start to finish as an awesome player on both ends of the floor. You sound great, but I, I do need to ask, are you okay? Because there's a lot of snorting in between these answers. I'm doing great. Okay. Are you sure? Yeah, my mouth tastes weird, but I'm fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, so last couple. Uh, most improved player, Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter Jr., Julius Randle. To me, this is an easy one. I caved. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. I, it's okay. I, lost. I, lost. Uh, I don't think it was going to get any worse. I was surprised you actually took it. No problem the first week. He's, he's a beast. Um, Seamus is made of cinnamon. <laughs> cinnamon <boy. laughs> um, yeah, I think it's obvious. Obviously, Julius Randle. I mean, last year he was a guy who could put up eighteen and nine, and he had some vision. But overall, he was a terrible defensive player who made bad decisions offensively and couldn't shoot. And now he's hitting pull-up threes in transition, shooting forty percent from three from the year. He's a key cog in an awesome defense. I've been dramatically impressed. He's going to make an all-NBA team. Who thought that was going to happen? That's crazy. Probably one of the 30 best players in the league. Formerly, he was – I think he. I ranked him like 85, 90 coming into the year. So that jump of 60 spots is a lot more than Michael Porter Jr., who kind of just filled a new role with a higher usage in a way that he – was expected to last year. He has similar efficiency. He's awesome. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is awesome. But he has similar efficiency, similar advanced statistics. I think overall, I'm not as surprised, and I don't think he's improved as much. I just think his role grew. And then Jeremy Grant, if he continued what he did in the first two months of the season, he would be a good candidate to be number two. But I think he kind of tailed off. And similarly, he just filled a bigger role that wasn't available to him before. I think it's Randall, no doubt. So before we move on to the next category, there was a listener question, and I'm not going to try to pronounce that name because I don't even know how to start that name. But whose international roster do you like better, Spain or Serbia? I'm going to go personally with Serbia because I believe is Luka Doncic is Serbian, correct? No. No, he – uh, okay, that was a great start. So then I'm going oh, with no. Spain all day. <laughs> I mean – you could pick you could pick Serbia because they got Jokic. Um, oh, that's true. And I think they have uh, one of the Bogdanoviches, Bojan or Bogdan. I think the one on the Hawks. I think plays with Jokic. Bojan, Bogdan. But uh, Emily likes Slovenia. They were they were good. Yeah, Slovenia is Luca, um, and they have Goran Dragic. There's there's a lot of good international teams. I mean, Canada Canada is going to be good. Uh, they got Shea and Dort, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, uh, a, a couple players 
that play on the Thunder as well. A couple of players from Toronto that play up there. I, I like I like them. Tristan Thompson, sure. He, I mean, as far as far as international competition goes, he, he's a good big internationally. Um, it's tough to say. I, I I I mean, I haven't watched teams like Spain and like Serbia have this instinctive chemistry that's really built in and is exciting to watch. But scouting those teams and saying this team is going to do this is kind of tricky when they only play once every X amount of years. So you kind of just got to say, well, this guy's from that country, so that means they're going to be pretty good. So I would put Sevilla above Spain. I would probably put Luka and Dragic and Slovenia over Spain. Then it's Spain. I mean, the Gasol brothers and – I think Serge Ibaka used to play for them and Rubio and the good players they have over now, uh, Sergio, Sergio Lul and Rudy Fernandez. I mean, they're good, but I don't think they have the firepower that other countries do. All right. Let's try to, let's try to fire through these last three categories and wrap up this show. Shall we? I don't know about this one personally. Depoy defensive player of the year. I got three guys that I have no idea about. Go bear green and Simmons. Personally, I think green's probably a third in that category. To me, it's between Gobert and Simmons, and I probably would give the edge to Simmons only because he's never won it before, so voters usually kind of like to give a new guy a shot. Are you with me on that one? My um, my defensive player of the year isn't on the finalists' ballot. Wow, my, contrarian. My, my defensive player of the year is Bam Adebayo. I think that um, the NBA is in an interesting place in terms of coverage because of the access that media beat writers and analysts have to stats, they often push information proven out by stats. And sometimes that's great. And there's stats you should definitely pay attention to that help understanding the game. And then there's other stats that don't. And I think it's really important to caution fans, caution media, caution everyone at crediting individual players with defensive stats, advanced defensive stacks, these all-in-one catch metrics. Defense is a team performance-related statistic. In every stat, that's like when Rudy Gobert is on the floor, the Jazz have X defensive rating. So much goes into that that's not just Rudy that often it can blind what you're seeing and what actually matters. And yes, Rudy Gobert can definitely be one of the best regular season defenders in the league because of his rim protection and because of his ability to impact teams as a drop defender, specifically teams that are bad. But I think the things that Ben Simmons does are more valuable, his ability to guard all five positions. And I think that what Bio does is a nice middle ground between what Ben Simmons offers as a versatile guy who can defend five positions. Bam can do four and a half. And with what Rudy does as a supreme rim protector who is a deterrent and someone on the backside who allows his perimeter defenders to be more aggressive and more willing to get beat because they know they have Bam or Rudy behind them. So my defense player of the year ballot is Bam one, Simmons two, Gobert three. All right. So the last two I feel pretty passionate about as far as discussing them, but we'll try to be brief. The first will be rookie of the year. Obviously, I am rocking an Anthony Edwards jersey. 
I don't think he's the preliminary favorite to win the the award. I think that uh, Vegas has Lamella Ball as the champion. I just want to plead the case really quick for Anthony Edwards. If we're going to discount Lamella Ball's timeout and say, well, he was injured and you know we shouldn't take that period into account, we should also take into account the time that Anthony Edwards had to spend with that awful, awful coach uh, that I can't remember his name because he was so trash. What was his name, Swoosh? Early year. I forgot it already. Yeah. But uh, Hinch or Finch, whatever. Finch, his Finch is great. Finch has been great. He's unlocked Anthony Edwards since the All-Star break when the new coach took over. Anthony Edwards has been an absolute superstar in this league. He's surpassed expectations at that point. So if we're going to discount the time that LaMelo Ball missed with the injury, we should also discount the time that Anthony Edwards had to play with that god-awful coach. Uh, Ryan Saunders. Saunders. Ryan Saunders. Thank you. So that's my case for Anthony Edwards. Um, But who do you like for rookie of the year? Um. I think Lamelo's going to win. I, I don't. I think he have win. him. I have him first on my ballot, but Edwards had a, a more impressive ceiling. His high performances were more more high than Lamelo's highs. And if you care about missed games, then I think you, there's no reason not to award uh, Anthony Edwards the award. But I think it's just because how good Lamelo was from start to finish, and because of how bad Anthony Edwards is, was in the early stretches, even with a different coach. I understand. I just think it's more likely that LaMelo gets it. And LaMelo is awesome. I mean, he kind of had a flub in the playing game, but he was an awesome rookie. He exceeded all expectations. I Coming into the draft, I didn't think he had all-star ceiling. He clearly has all-star ceiling. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that he's had a better statistical year from start to finish. But as far as the ceiling, I would rather have Anthony Edwards right now uh, to start my franchise sure. with. Also, that guy's a, that guy's funny as hell, man. If you ever watch his post oh, games interviews, he's, he's the man. You got to love he's- him. I think he's got to be the best personality in the entire league. Yes, like, absolutely. For sure. For sure. He's hilarious. He's like easily the most genuinely unintentional, unintentionally funny person in the league. I listened to someone, uh, Bomani Jones, talking about like, you know, most guys coming to the NBA, they're almost like trained with like athlete talk, like how to spot talk to media. No right. one told Anthony Edwards how to talk to media. He just talks <laughs> like a regular person having a good time. I love him. He's so great. let's finish off with the top top billing with the reward season MVP. I think that this is a no brainer, but I would like to hear your opinion there, Seamus. I mean, it's got to be Jokic. I, I mean, he's yep. not only does he have a statistical case, I don't know his exact numbers, and I'm assuming it's like 26, 10, and 8. Uh, he's played every game. His team got better uh, efficiency wise, performance wise, after Jamal Murray went down, which is ludicrous. And he's improved in a lot of areas that were issues for him previously, specifically defense in the pick and roll, defense around the rim, uh, his ability to handle himself in the post, his ability to call his own number in terms of being a confident shot creator and not just a creator for his teammates. He's, he's, he's being more uh, selfish, not in a bad way. And, and I think it's, it's showing out. He, he dominated Bam. He dominated Rudy Gobert. He dominated – Anything any team threw at him, he was phenomenal from start to finish. Uh, he's still 25, 26 years old. His future looks like he's going to be an all-time great as long as he can get a team surrounded around him that can help him get to the promised land. I see no reason why he won't be one of the better players to ever play. I think the only thing holding him back is that he looks like a loaf of Wonder Bread. That's great. That's a great factor, though. 
That really is. But just to to add to what you said, he doesn't have the lead leaguer lead 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 in like points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, but he leads in these categories, right? Win shares. So yeah. he has he adds the most to a team winning. Box plus minus value over replacement and player efficiency rating. So this guy comes in, plays his ass off, does exactly what he needs to win. He's efficient and he gets he gets results. Like that's what you want in a MVP. It's not empty think, calories. No, and I think if I think if Embiid was healthy for the full season, I think he would have a, he would have a serious no. argument to win over Jokic, but just because he wasn't and because their defense was able to sustain without Embiid. Embiid's my number 2, but I mean, Jokic has been ridiculous. He's and you watch him, even though I understand they lost. He's one of the few players in the league that you can depend on to step it up a notch when it comes to playoffs. You know what I mean? There are certain players that when they enter the playoffs, their production goes down, their efficiency goes down, and there's other players that it goes up, and that's rare. Even though you would expect that from your superstar players, that's not that's not what happens often. Even superstars usually trend down statistically enter the postseason. Jokic hasn't. Jokic has been a ridiculously efficient and effective and dominant, frankly, postseason player so far in his early career. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Seamus, for spending the time to deal with our shenanigans and give us some credibility and some insight. But before we get out of here today, I want to say a big happy birthday to our good friend and he's kind of like a fourth co-host on this thing we love him to death luca wolf i'm gonna pl- i'm gonna steal the levitard happy birthday to you and edit it right now and happy birthday to him i don't care good luck so luca thank you for being part of our lives we love you buddy uh and happy birthday man and mikey manuel it's always a pleasure, man. Had fun. Thank you, Mikey, for holding down the fort while I lost internet. Go to hell, Verizon Fios, for kicking me off the internet. Evan Fournier is to blame, not Fios. <laughs> Evan Fournier, bring it home, buddy. And listen, guys, if you like the basketball talk, if you like the really good analysis, check out Seamus's podcast, My Will Help Basketball Podcast. You can find it on Spotify, iTunes, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. So please, I implore you, check that out. Rate, subscribe to review to his podcast. We would appreciate that. And also, we'd appreciate you listening live, watching now. Rate, subscribe, review. We got Balls Podcast. We do this thing once a week. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Peace out.